Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is a, is a familiar voice over the past few weeks. It's Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much. Just, you know, ready to get right into her. Yes, yes. Uh, we're going to do the top 10 defensemen today, and uh, I spent a lot of time deliberating whether we should just stretch this out and, and do top 20 like you did uh, over at sportsnet.ca, just because as I was compiling my list... Um, once I started getting into that sort of like eight, nine, ten range, I had like fifteen guys to choose from, and I knew that a lot of them would get cut. And then I know that people will complain about why we hate their favorite players and their favorite teams. And honestly, some of these guys are so good that it, it is a little subjective that you could easily just sneak them into that top ten, and I, I wouldn't really complain. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also the left-right thing, mm. which you know makes it harder to differentiate just for the ten, but. Yeah, it, it's tough. I feel like no matter what the cutoff is with defensemen, it starts to get tough to like actually make the cutoff because there's there's got to be at least like forty five really good defensemen in the NHL. Yeah. Oh, I, and where did you have Shea Weber on your list? Was it forty seven? <laughs> forty seven. Yeah, so- I should I should have said forty seven just to avoid people getting angry. <laughs> and you picking a number like forty five was was uh. It rang a bell that it's probably a very specific thing, and and you said forty five good ones, so uh, it says a lot <laughs> about your thoughts on Shea Weber. Um, yeah, it's all personal. <laughs> I think that uh, I wanted to lump a few guys together. We can have a quick discussion on them that didn't make my top ten. Um, that I think are are fantastic and generally don't get enough uh, attention publicly, like league wide, just because maybe they don't necessarily put up the big pointing uh, counting stats, or you know they're they're never mentioned amongst these sort of guys that. Uh, familiar names we'll get to in a bit, but like, whether it's guys like Mark Edward Vlasic or Anton Strahlman or I don't know, you go on down the list. Like uh, I, I know that you had Brian Campbell very high on yours. I, I, I might have had him in my top 10, honestly, if we'd done this before the season started, but just mm-hmm. how weird the start of this year has been has bumped him down a bit on my list. So guys like that, um, who you might not necessarily think of as being uh, like the top 20 guys at their position or whatever, are pretty clearly entrenched in that 11 to 20 range. And, and I felt pretty good about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Vlasic ranked uh, quite a bit lower in uh, in my rankings, but Strawman was really, really high. Um, Jalmerson as well was 
not super high, but like his defensive ranking was really, really good. Uh, Chris Tanev's defensive ranking was, I think, second in the league behind Mark Giordano. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really good def- uh, defensive player, but again, doesn't bring much on offense. There's a lot of guys who are not necessarily are one-dimensional, but stand out in one aspect of the game that people don't really talk about very much. Right, and and we, we should kind of point out that you know it, it, we get the common common thing from uh, people online. Well, it says defense in their in their job description, so pretty clearly, you know, they they, they better be good at defending. And there is many different ways that you can accomplish that, especially in 2016, where, you know, uh, some of the guys on this list that we're going to discuss might not necessarily seem like guys that are, you know, your quote unquote, stay at home, reliable kind of conservative defensemen. But generally, if you have the puck on your stick, it means the opponent doesn't. So technically, uh, as long as you're doing that more often than not, you're you're doing a good job of defending just because the puck's not in your own zone and going into your own net. So, so any, any way you accomplish that is good in my books. Absolutely. And I think there's something to be said for like how much of defensive impact is actual defending, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I don't think we know 100% like what portion it is, but it's definitely not all of it. And like a lot of people who say, oh, well, defenseman, he has to be great at defense, don't understand that, you know, like I, I would say transition makes a bigger impact on overall like goals against than actual defensive play, like in the zone uh, defending without the puck. Yeah. And I think people generally don't, you know, discuss this enough, but it's really, it's really tough to defend in your own zone consistently without either getting buried in terms of goals or shots or, or taking a lot of penalties, right? Like generally the, the guys are so skilled these days with the puck on their stick that if you're just chasing around your, in your own zone, you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble and you're sort of going to wear yourself out and then put your team uh, behind in terms of you, you're going to get tired. You're going to just dump the puck out meekly, go change. And then all of a sudden the guys that come on the ice next are also going to wind up defending in their own zone. And it's sort of this like endless cycle. So you really want to try and avoid doing that as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Out of curiosity, where did you have Shea Weber? I honestly did not even... I mean, I don't want to say I didn't consider him for my top sort of 20 guys that I put together because I considered everyone, but he, I could pretty clearly find 25 to 30 guys that I, I feel much more comfortable with putting uh, in this discussion. So I, I'm not sure if he's 47. He might be somewhere in the 30s or something like that. And listen, like that's... That's good. That's 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 very good. That's a very good player. It's, it's nothing to scoff at, but it, I, I'm I'm sure that some people will take issue with the fact that he's not firmly in our top ten. Because like, I, I feel like there's some people out there that he's in there in he's in the top five, and it's a no brainer. Yeah, I, I've seen people say that he's like the best defenseman in the NHL, which is kind of nuts, but. You know, for any Habs fans listening, Dimitri also hates your favorite player, so well, don't just yell at me on Twitter. <laughs> the weird thing is, is like that's not even like a necessarily like a numbers based argument. Like, are are, are these people watch, watching the game? Like, how how can you watch someone like Eric Carlson or or, or even like a Drew Doughty, for example, uh, who we'll discuss, and then watch Shea Weber and think that Shea Weber just purely from watching those two guys play being like, yes, Shea Weber is definitely better at his job than Drew Doughty is like watching Drew Doughty just skate laps around people and get the puck out of his own zone effortlessly and do all sorts of things, getting it to his teammates. Like it just, it seems like a, a very silly thing. It's not even necessarily a, a numbers thing. It's just straight up, just everything put together. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And especially if you watch Weber without the puck, you can see like his conservative tendencies. Like uh, he's not going to be caught out of position very often, because he doesn't really move in the defensive zone. Like he, he sticks in front of the net 
in like a little square in front of the net between the circles and he does not go for the puck unless he absolutely 100% will get that puck before anybody else. He takes zero risks and you know obviously guys like Michel Therrien love that but if you don't take any risks you don't ever clear the zone and you know there is a tangible impact that Weber has on high danger scoring chances he definitely cuts them down a little bit but because he puts so much more pressure on his partner and the forwards to get the puck you know you end up getting stuck in your zone for more time and just based on pure shot volume even though the chances against are lower quality he's still on the ice for more goals against. So it's kind of like, yes, he does have a strength in defending without the puck, but it doesn't end up mattering because of the way he plays. Yes. Yeah. No, that's about, that's well said. Um, all right, let's get into this top 10. Uh, 10th on my list is a guy who's somehow not playing these days, even though he's fully healthy and that's Hampus Lindholm. And, uh, I'm not sure where you had him on your list, but I'm sure it's pretty high as well. And, and it's just an unconscionable decision by the Ducks to start the year without a top 10 defenseman, uh, who's pretty clearly their best guy, uh, in the mix just because of, uh, they can't figure out the money situation. Yeah. I had hit Hampus Lindholm uh, at 10th on my list for Sportsnet, but I moved him up to number eight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, this is a, a bad decision by the by the Anaheim Ducks, and apparently they're only apart by like 500k over a certain amount of time. But the Ducks need to move somebody out. But you know, like as somebody who's experienced this before, uh, when you let your uh, top defenseman kind of get angry at you and you're letting him miss games because you're not willing to give him the money, mm-hmm. it doesn't work out long term very often. Well, especially when you're paying very nice sums of money to guys like Clayton Stoner and Kevin Bieksa and then coming back to him and being like, yeah, listen, man, we just don't have the money to, to, to give you what you want. So you're going to have to take a bit less. Like they don't, I understand they own his RFA rights. So they have a little bit of leverage there, but not necessarily that much considering, you know, just watching this team play right now, it's so clear that they desperately need Lindholm back in the lineup. And he's probably just, I'm sure he's working out a lot and working on his game, but he's probably just sitting at home watching these games, kind of laughing to himself and, and texting with his agent because every time the Ducks play, it, it seems to increase his value and put the spotlight on, on how much they, they need him. Yeah, absolutely. And like, what what interests me about Lindholm is that he's a little bit like uh, Anton Strahlman earlier in his career where, you know, like he's not putting up the gaudy point totals. But if you watch him and, and you look at the like the analytics, like he has a big impact on offense, but he just isn't getting the points right now. And I think that's a category of defensemen that I really like because they end up being underappreciated like league wide in that they do drive offense, but they're not necessarily getting the points they're just creating the possibility for their teammates to create offense in a way you know mm-hmm. and eventually Strawman got put on the power play in half bay and now he's a pretty good point producer but for a long time he was like a 20 25 30 point guy and everybody kind of thought that he was mostly a defensive guy but you know like his transition play made a big difference in the offensive game for for the Rangers when he was there and the Tampa Bay Lightning now. And I think Hampus Lindholm is in that mold. And as he gets a little bit older and a little bit more responsibility, I think we'll probably see him jump up to like 45 points, maybe even crack 50 a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that we're at the point in sort of our understanding of the game and, and things that we look at for this position and understanding that, you know, to, to put up gaudy point totals, you generally... 
you know, you need to be really good, but you also need to be put in, in, in a certain position and, and certain things need to go right that might not necessarily be in your own control to, to, to let that happen. And, and these days we can sort of appreciate what Lynn Holm brings to the table without looking at that stuff. I mean, you know, he doesn't block a lot of shots. He doesn't throw a lot of hits. His, he's not even that high in, in terms of like takeaways or, or, or stuff like that. So none of this sort of kind of old school, real time stats stuff necessarily points to the fact that he should be this high up on the list. But you watch him and he, and he, he is one of those guys that, sort of like a Chris Tanev where you know they they just do everything well like you you watch Lindholm play and he he's so smooth at at defending his own zone and getting the puck out and and, and distributing it and it seems like everything is done with a purpose and with a plan and and he and he he's so smooth at accomplishing that and and there's very few guys in the league that you can say that about yeah absolutely uh moving on from Lindholm my number 10 was actually Matt Niskanen mm. and he, he's a guy that like I thought was overrated when he went to unrestricted free agency after his uh, couple years with the Penguins. But man, has he ever blossomed into a great player? And, you know, late bloomer, uh, I thought he was good with uh, with Dallas, but, uh, you know, like a good third pairing, maybe second pairing tweener kind of guy. Right. But he's turned into a, a like full on number one defenseman. And I, I think he's the best uh, defenseman on the Capitals by like a mile. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that for sure. And I, I think that. You know, popular sentiment would probably be that John Carlson is just because he plays on that top power play unit and, and, and you know, he scored a lot of goals in the playoffs, but it's pretty clear that Niskanen does so much more for that team. Yeah, great skater, uh, surprisingly strong as well. You know, like he's he's tough to get in uh, on offense against. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a really good player, and I, I don't know, he doesn't get much press, but man, Matt Niskanen, I thought he was way overpaid when that contract happened, but now I think. That, like as far as UFA contracts go, that was a severe underpayment for what the Capitals ended up getting. Yeah, well, don't forget they also got Brooks Orpik that same summer. So this yeah. is true; they kind of undid that. Yes, they, they balanced themselves out. Um, no, Niskanen's awesome. He wasn't in my top ten, but he's definitely sort of in that in that next tier in that consideration in the eleven to twenty range. Um, number nine, I, I had this. I, I think you had this guy a bit too low on your list, and that's John Klingberg. Um, make the case for why Klingberg isn't a top ten defenseman. Uh, the main thing for Klingberg was his defensive play was a little bit spotty, mm-hmm. and I think that's just an age thing. Uh, I, you know, if we were to re-rank even halfway through this year, you'd probably see him jump jump up quite a bit. It's just one of those things where you know, young players take a while to learn like the intricacies of the defensive game, and uh, I think one of the other things was he wasn't using the penalty kill, so mm-hmm. he got zeros across the board for for the data that I used there. Um, it, it's just a he got hurt because he's young that's the only thing i think i still had him at 19 which you know the the difference between 19 and 10 in my rankings was not very large it's kind of like people got upset that uh roman yossi wasn't on there which Mm -hmm. you know i think roman yossi you know he has a severe defensive deficiency but his transition games just were ridiculous but yossi ellis and ekholm well, Ekholm was above them, but they ranked 21, 22, and 23 hmm. on the ranking. So you can see like how strong the Predators' defense is. But yeah, I think Klingberg just got hurt 
for age. Uh, next year, he'd probably be in the top 10 because his development is ridiculous. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned the age, he's 24, but he also was a forward for a long time. So I feel like he's, in terms of defenseman years, he's he's so he's so young. And, and, and you're right, I feel like uh, in the next couple of years, he could really blossom. And, and speaking of, you mentioned that Matt Niskanen and the good contract they got him on. Uh, the stars are going to be laughing pretty hard with the uh, the long-term contract they got him to sign after his first breakout season. Yeah, absolutely. And what did the stars need more than John Klingberg? You know, like what what they were building there, everything looks great at forward, but they really needed a John Klingberg. And there he is, you know, like he's the future number one stud who can do everything on the back end. He's he's such a great player. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. He really um, sort of embodies just everything that makes that Dallas Stars team the the beautiful frenetic offensive juggernaut that they are like you, you watch this team play and and it seems like nothing's happening and then i think i feel like the other team kind of just like settles down a bit and goes okay we can take a deep breath maybe get a change going here and relax a little bit They're, they might just dump the puck in and, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this uh conservative back and forth affair that we're used to playing and then all of a sudden the stars are just jumping and you know Klingberg makes a great pass out of his own zone and all of a sudden four guys are just rushing the zone and, and you're just like how did that, how did that happen in in a, in a blink of an eye and and he really allows them to do a lot of that and without him I'm I'm not sure they'd be the team that they are. Yeah, absolutely. And plus there's that, you know, I think everybody's favorite thing to watch last year was <clears throat> was Klingberg, Sagan and Ben in 3 on 3 because <laughs> when you put those three on the ice it yes. just wasn't even fair. Insane. Um eighth overall, uh I have Oliver Ekman Larson, who when I started doing this list, I actually had him quite a bit lower and I'm not sure why, just for, for whatever reason, I thought, you know, I, I know all about him in terms of his exploits and, and, and the things he does well and, and how highly regarded he is, but I just had guys higher on him. But once I did a little bit of more digging and, and link, looked into it, I, I think that he deserves to be this high on this list. And, and it might be kind of overlooked a little bit just because he has been playing for a team that hasn't been very competitive. So his sort of superficial numbers might be dragged down a little bit. But once you kind of uh, look at look at the relative stuff compared to his teammates, it's clear that he's he's doing his very best to try and pull everyone up together with him. Yeah, I actually had Oliver Ekman Larson there as well, which I, I adjusted from my original list where he was 11th. Mm -hmm. I dropped off Brian Campbell, yep. uh, who was originally number eight, uh, partially because of age. You know, looking forward, he, he's not likely to improve, and partially because of the start this season. I don't know if Brian Campbell's actually been bad or if Kenville has just kind of like lost his mind a little bit because it seems like. He has a lot of trouble figuring out that defense outside of like Keith Seabrook and Jalmerson. Like they didn't like Johnny Oduya, and then Johnny Oduya just went and played a big role in winning a Stanley Cup. Brian Campbell has been, you know, a fantastic player in Florida for a long while now. Yep. And for whatever reason, uh, Quenville decided to put him on his offside, which he's never played before in his career, and he struggled. Then he put him at forward, and it's like. Is this really Brian Campbell's fault? I don't know, but maybe maybe it's the age thing kind of getting getting to him finally, even though he looked ageless. But Ekman Larson, you know, I think he's a really strong defensive player, mm -hmm. uh, really decent in transition, and obviously he's probably the best goal scorer in terms of defensemen in the NHL right now. Yeah, no, he's uh he's very good. I'm glad that they finally are are starting to get him a little bit of help in terms of they they obviously brought in Goligoski this summer and and hopefully they can they get a little bit of help there because I feel like it's really just been a one man show for a few years now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that Goligoski move for, for Arizona. I think that that's going to take a little bit of pressure off of Ekman Larson and, you know, hopefully help the team grow a little bit from the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who do you have at, at number seven then? Number seven, I have Brent Burns, which people probably think is low, but mm. the reason why I have Burns low is because he still kind of plays like a forward. Right. And, but what I mean by that is like, he is a great offensive player. And in terms of like one-on-one defending also really good. Right. But when he has the puck, he is a little bit messy and careless with it. And like, he actually had the lowest pass success rate in the entire league last year on defense, which is like, you know, not a good thing, especially in the defensive zone. He was also the lowest. So when you're creating a ton of turnovers with your passes in the defensive zone, you are going to allow a ton of high scoring or high danger chances against, but Obviously, he overcomes that with his offensive game, but he, he plays a little bit like Eric Carlson, where he's given an amount of freedom that might end up hurting him on the defensive end, uh, you know, in the end anyway. But uh, I, I love the way he plays just because it's exciting. But if I was going to choose a defenseman, there are guys that I'd take over him. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I have him fifth on my list, so not necessarily too much higher. Um, I do think that he does play like a forward. I, I think that sort of some of those defensive concerns in terms of you mentioned the one-on-one play are generally over overblown by uh, sometimes people on, on TV and on the message boards because um, once he does get into those one-on-one situations, he, he can skate and, he, and he, he's really good with using his stick to kind of um, try and disrupt, uh, you know, carries in against and stuff like that. And, and he obviously has that big body so he can get in the way and block shots and, and kind of snuff out opportunities in single-handedly. So he is good in those situations. Sometimes you can get a little bit lost and, and you're right with uh, being a bit too loose with a puck in his own zone. I think that Chris Letang, who I also have high on this list, is someone like that as well, where you watch him play and and they're so talented and so gifted and you watch them do all these incredible things. But then a bit too often for my liking, they kind of resort to just being reckless for whatever reason with the puck. They they, they kind of just like, without looking, just fling it around and, and, and it puts them in some uncomfortable situations sometimes. So that should knock them down a little bit. But the, the 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 pros just outweigh the cons so much with Burns, where he's such an overwhelming offensive force that he'd really have to be a massive liability to to bump him out of the top ten. Yeah, absolutely, and his shot is just ridiculous. Like, I don't think it's in the hardest of the league, but it is so pinpoint accurate. Like, the shots that he gets through from like way out, like on the blue line, and he'll get through like four screens and just pick a corner. I don't know if anybody else in the league can do that from the back end. Like it's almost like whenever Patrick Kane circles around the zone and then he'll let like this floating wrister go from the blue line and it finds its way through five guys into the top corner. It's almost like Brent Burns does that, but with a slap shot. Yeah, no. And, and he's the perfect compliment as sort of the, the third wheel to that Pavelski Thornton combo, especially in the power play where, uh, you know, it's pick your poison. If you give him too much space, he'll gladly shoot it. And, and he doesn't need to, you know, the thing that I love about Burns is you watch him and he never really needs to kind of wind up and, and generate a, a crazy hard slap shot to, to get, to get, 
you know, the puck through and, and to get it on net and try and score. Like he's, he can just kind of do that quick snapshot, which makes it so difficult to defend because he doesn't really telegraph it at all. So if you, he only really needs like a split second to get it off. And, and I mean, he, he, he loves to use it. He had 350 shots last year, which is an insane total for defensemen. I mean, that, that's an insane total for anyone not named Alex Ovechkin. So, uh, no, he's a, he's a high volume guy and, and he makes a lot, a lot of happen for that team. So I feel pretty comfortable having him high, this high on the list. Um, who, who's next on your list? Uh, next on my list, it was really close with Burns as to who was going to be higher, but it's Kevin Shattenkirk. Mm. And for whatever reason, uh, lots of people don't like this guy. Uh, I, I don't get it. it. No matter where he plays in the lineup, he's extraordinary. You know, like his offensive numbers are ridiculous. Uh, his defensive numbers are pretty good too. And in terms of transition, he's like right up there with the top in the league. Um, I think he's the Blues' best defenseman, although he might be overtaken by Pareko uh, on the soon side, or, well, he might be traded at some point during this year in the offseason. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I really like this guy. And for some reason, you know, like USA Hockey doesn't really like him. I think he's the best American defenseman in the league. It, it's really weird how little press this guy gets, in ter- like in terms of positive press anyway. Lots of people will compliment his offense, but like his all-around game is really strong. Yeah, no, I I definitely think that he's the Blues' best defenseman, and, and that that's probably going to be a controversial opinion for some because Petrangelo sort of just is is more highly regarded for whatever reason. He's always on Team Canada, and he's always kind of propped up as this guy that does everything for the Blues. But you watch them play, and and it, it's Shattenkirk that's definitely moving the needle more for for everyone involved. So I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, he he looks pretty impressive when you watch him, just purely based on the on the eye test. So I'm I'm not sure why. Uh, people would be down on him. I mean, I, I say that as someone I had him like in my top fifteen. I didn't have him as high as you did, but now I'm a big fan as well. So, um, yeah, I, I I can't explain it. Do you think maybe part of it is that he's not a great skater? Because he he's definitely not the quickest, and he kind of like if you look at his headshot, he looks more like a police chief than than a hockey player. Yeah, but you know he's kind of got like that fizzle, Phil Kessel quality where he doesn't look like he's in shape, but he's He's there, you know, like he's going to beat you every time. I think that, I think that's fair. That's definitely part of it. I mean, it, it looks like he shouldn't be as good as he is, but then, you know, you just keep watching and then you look at what he's actually put together in terms of the, re- the resume and, and it's pretty impressive. Um, so, okay. So you had Shattenkirk sixth then? Yep. Okay. So uh, who do you have? Who do you have uh, fifth? Fifth, I have Drew Doughty, mm. which will be a controversial one because he just won the, won the Norris and... You know, I don't think that he deserved to win it over Eric Carlson, but I took a deep dive on Doughty after the regular season ended, and I do understand where people are coming from with voting him there because he basically had like a mistake-free season. Uh, I think we touched on it when we were looking at centers, but him and Kopitar had the highest pass success rates in uh, in the league for their positions, and Doughty just like he just did not turn over the puck last year at all. And he played a ton of minutes. Uh, he f- didn't play much with Jake Muzzin, which was like a big change. So he was carrying around like Braden McNabb. I think that's his name. He, you know, not a very good player. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, you know, I, I watch a lot of hockey and I'm not even sure that's his, his name. You know, like he's like the, the depth in L.A. is not very good. And to be fair, Doughty plays mostly with the top lines. 
he, he doesn't, you know, support the fourth line like uh, Nashville used Shea Weber for with Paul Gostad and Montreal used P.K. Subban for, but uh, he's just incredible and played mistake-free hockey and still drove offense. So I, I totally understand where people are coming from with Drew Doughty, and I think he's fantastic. Yeah, no, Doughty's awesome. I, I feel like we definitely sort of... Uh lost the plot a little bit last year with because you know everyone was so busy defending eric carlson and and and, you know justifiably so um he eric carlson was the best defenseman in the season in in the nhl last year there isn't really an argument otherwise but uh dowdy dowdy had a had a good good a good year man he's uh he does everything well and and uh he doesn't have a lot of help on that team. I mean, it's funny. Dean Lombardi's got come under attack recently for some of the uh, ridiculous things he said. And and uh, you know, last year after the, after they lost uh, in terms of their exit interview, he was discussing about how you know he lamented that the, the, the team wasn't fast enough on the blue line. It's like, well, then why'd you bring in Luke Shannon and Rob Scuderi <laughs> as your uh, as your big trade deadline pickups? Like, yeah, of course you guys need more team speed on the back end. I mean, uh, Dowdy is. Is is amazing. He um, he really he's like the opposite of Kevin Shattenkirk in, in in the regard that you 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 watch him play and it's like everything just happens so smoothly and so easily that it's like I feel like it, it's a bit surprising that sometimes people don't get on his case for for you know looking like he's not trying hard enough just because he makes it look so effortless. Well, and and it's also funny that like he's a phenomenal skater and never seems to get tired, but then. You look at him, and again, like he's got that little pooch in his yeah, tummy. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't look like he's in great shape. But man, I'd I'd put him up against any ripped guy in in the league in terms of endurance and overall uh, fitness because he just gets it done. He's he's a specimen, you know. And mm-hmm. it, it's unfortunate that the nature of arguments on the internet is that in order to you know prove that Eric Carlson is the best in the league, which he is. Uh, people kind of run Dowdy down, or at least that's the perception. And people think uh, that analytics-focused people think that Dowdy's terrible when the opposite is true. Like, he's... I don't think there's many people who watch the game or, uh, you know, like incorporate analytics into their evaluations that have Drew Dowdy outside of the top five. Like, I would be very surprised if anybody did. Well, it's just just hard to find... uh flaws in his game really i mean he he really does everything well um before we get into sort of into deeper into this top five uh a guy i wanted to discuss quickly that um i know you don't have uh this high but it, it, it's chris letang we mentioned him a bit earlier and um i'm kind of curious why you had him so low on your on your sports set list i will check his numbers mm. i think you I, had him I, like 19th or 20th yeah uh yeah he finished 19th and I think the main thing was, yeah, defensive play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of the same thing with Burns, although uh, it seems like he's not as good one-on-one as Burns is, which I think that's kind of a function of Burns is gigantic and also fast and has a good stick. Whereas, you know, Latang is a great skater and has a good stick, but he he can't really muscle guys as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Just style of play, I guess, uh, pushes him down. And in terms of offense, he puts up a lot of numbers, but in terms of like on on the ice, off the ice, uh, goals for, goals against, his like on ice goals for, he doesn't push the play as much as you would think. And other guys rank ahead of him 
in that uh, in that regard. So, like Klingberg, for example, his impact on his team's offense was a lot larger than Latang's was, which is crazy to think because Latang's one of the biggest point producing defensemen. But he's one of those guys that he he gets involved in a lot of goals, but the overall number of goals scored are not as high as you would think. Hmm. That's fair. Um, yeah, something that would knock him down my list or kind of give me trepidation in terms of putting him really high is that he does miss a lot of time. I mean, looking at his game logs, uh, he's basically good for at least 10 to 15 missed games per year. And, and, and that's a problem, especially for uh, that, that Penguins team that relies on him so much. But I don't know, maybe I'm just being a little clouded by how insanely good he was towards sort of the second half of last year when the Penguins really turned it around because um, I remember kind of doing a little bit of a deep dive and looking at his splits under Mike Johnson and then um, under Mike Sullivan and it was remarkable. I mean, he was playing like 28, 29 minutes a night and, and it was like a, po- like a point a game and, 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 and shooting a ton and he was kind of in the middle of everything that was going right for the Penguins. So, I mean, they rely on him so much. Um and hopefully he can stay on the ice more often than not because uh, the Penguins are really fun to watch when everyone's healthy and everything's clicking, and, and he's a big reason for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's worth pointing out that like the Penguins' decor is not good outside of Latang. Mm-hmm. Like they're a mobile group, so they can kind of fit into Mike John or not uh, Johnson, but Mike Sullivan's system, and it works really well. Right. But like without Chris Latang there running things like a general. It, I think it'd be a total mess. Uh, he's so important to how that back end works, and he plays so many minutes. It, I think that's worth pointing out. Yep. Um, all right, so we're in your top four now. Um, give me your number four. I, I'm guessing that our top four will be pretty similar. I've got Victor Hedman. Mm, I have Victor Hedman second, actually. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Is that, is yeah, that, is I that think, a hot take? No, no, I don't think so. Mm. I think the top four are all pretty close. Yep. And... Uh, I made uh, one change from my list, which is more uh, biased than anything. But uh, Victor Hedman, like, man, what what can this guy not do? <laughs> yeah. He's basically like, and the reason why I have him ahead of Drew Doughty is I think he's like Drew Doughty, but 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's not even much to say. He's just incredible. Well, I mean, and yeah, that's a good... Uh... That's a good campaign slogan for for Victor Hedman, Drew Doughty for just six six. Um, <laughs> no, and, and, and you you discuss how you know with, with Doughty and Latang, there's not much behind them, and and that that's what makes them so important to their teams. And uh, Anton Strawman is awesome, but obviously last year um, in the playoffs, he was either out or when he came back, he definitely wasn't himself, and it was just kind of a little jarring to watch Victor Hedman just take on uh, the type of responsibility that he did and just do it seamlessly without really falling off at all. I mean, he was just insane. Everything was running through him and, and the lightning were doing really well while, while that was the case. And I don't know, the thing that kind of bugs me with him is that um, the reason why he hasn't been high up these Norris lists every year is because, and you know, this might be a smart kind of long-term plan by them, but they never really ride him like some of these other guys do. I mean, he's generally playing around that 22, maybe 23 minute per game range, which is really good. But then some of these other guys, you see them, they're, they're clearly over 25. And, you know, that that might be just a good plan by, by John Cooper, realizing that um, he is a bigger guy and you want to keep him healthy and you don't want him to, to wear himself out during the regular season, considering this team does have Stanley Cup aspirations. So um, as a big picture thing, that's probably good for both him and the Lightning. But that's that's the, the, the one big issue that I have sort of with his statistical resume. It's that I wish he played a little bit more. 
Yeah, and, and that's something that's bothered me for a few years because, like, I think he's shown that he can do that. I think Guy Boucher actually played him more than John Cooper does, which is, like, you know, he was younger and less experienced, but... You know, maybe it's just keeping him fresh, and maybe it's because he's so big, and and they look at, uh, you know, some other big guys around the league. But I I don't, I don't know. He kind of he he doesn't have like the Chris Pronger kind of game that you know he could play like thirty five minutes. But I think he could play like Zdeno Chara minutes. You know, like it's not like that hurts Zdeno Chara. And you know, like now Chara looks like he's really struggling, but he's what thirty nine years old, so. Two years ago, even, Chara was still very, very good uh, among the top 20 defensemen in the league, I would say. So it's not like they need to worry about Victor Hedman declining at an early age. Uh, I, I would take advantage because this these are their prime years, you know. And I, I don't think there's any reason why, you know, Alex Pietrangelo should be playing more minutes than than Victor Hedman. You know, especially with the, the decor, like the, t- the bottom four that Tampa Bay has below Hedman and uh, Strawman. And by bottom four, I mean bottom four, because I don't think they have a top four. They just have an elite first par- first pair and four, you know, mediocre defensemen. Yeah. No, I, I've criticized um, sort of their, I don't, I don't know, just the, the guys that they've brought in uh, to surround those guys because, you know, for a smart team that realizes that, you know, you got to play fast and, and size doesn't really matter. They, they they seem to try to compensate for their smaller forwards with these big lumbering defensemen who can't really move. And whether it's a, it's a Braden Coburn or, or a Jason Garrison and so on and so on. And, and I kind of wish that they had more around him, but it's good to see that at least this year so far, it is only five games where he's playing 24 and a half minutes a night. So hopefully that's a, a good sign that they're going to really just kind of ride him moving forward because yeah, he's, he's, he's not even 26 years old yet, but this is eighth season in the NHL, which which uh, it seems crazy, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're getting to witness the full uh, Victor Hedman experience. Um, who do you who do you have next on this list? On the next, I have uh, Mark Giordano, mm-hmm. who again for two years he was like basically almost guaranteed a Norris Trophy, and then got injured towards the end of the season and fell off. And then last year, I thought he had a really good season, and nobody really paid attention to him anymore. Uh, his his age is definitely not optimal in terms of going forward, but man, that that guy, tough as nails. Uh, I think he's the best defensive defenseman in the NHL, and he still puts up like gaudy offensive numbers. Incredible shot. I I don't ever see him make mistakes with pinches. I, I feel like that's one thing that stands out with him is like when he makes a pinch, he either gets the puck or like he can find a way to get back if he's beat. Like he's, he's a really, really smart player and just like cerebral in a way. And he doesn't get enough credit for it. Yeah, no. I, and it's funny. I mean, you, you look at his career and, and the trajectory is, is strange for, especially for a guy that's high up on this list where he, there wasn't really an NHL regular until he was 25 years old and, and didn't play 20 minutes a night until he was 27. So it, it's, it's, it was kind of a, a little bit of a late bloomer, but it's it's worked out well for the uh, for both him and the Flames. The, the one issue I have with him a little bit is is he is a bit prone to taking uh, quite a few penalties, and and I, I wish that for a guy that's so important to his team as he is that he'd stay out of the box a little bit more. But um, it's sort of I guess just part of his game and part of his character to to play on the edge a little bit. So I mean, he, the, the things he puts on the table are, are are so far outweigh the things that he takes off of it. So it's kind of nitpicking. But uh, once you're this high up this list, you kind of have to look for kind of little factors 
are going to separate these guys, but Giordano, uh, Giordano is pretty awesome. Yeah, he is. And if you don't like penalties, you won't like my number two very much. Ooh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have, I have PK Subban third. So, um, listen, he's PK Subban's awesome. I'll give you a few minutes here coming up to just kind of, uh, wax poetic about him because I know you're a huge PK Subban guy, but I'm just so happy to see that things are, He's he's having a fun time in in, in Tennessee, man. I mean, uh, the other day he was uh, at a Tennessee Titans game and just you know just took his shirt off and, and just started pouring water on himself and, and going nuts and, and and pumping up the crowd. And I mean, I, I just don't understand how people cannot like this guy. I mean, he's he's everything that's that's right with this world and you know the youth and the excitement and the energy and and uh, he brings it onto the ice and with his play and, and he's so fun to watch. And uh, I feel pretty good having him this high up on my list. Yeah. He, he's where hockey's going. And as I hinted, PK Subban is my number two and uh, he was number three behind Giordano on my list statistically, but I bumped him up for, for two reasons. One is age. And number two is uh, last season was heavily weighted in that analysis. And PK Subban played most of last season with, not a torn, but a sprained MCL. And that really cut down his mobility. And the biggest drop down in him in his play was his transition game. And and you can see that he, I think he ranks 12th among defensemen where he was uh, number two in offense and like number six, I think in defense. So I think that that was pretty obvious that it did cut him down and cut it out, cut down his ability to be as good as he can be. And I guess a third, which is kind of bias is I think Michel Therrien really made him a worse player over the last couple of years. Uh, you, you can look at, uh, in terms of his transition play, earlier in his career, the first year that he that Therrien was there, when people, when uh, Chris Boucher was tracking zone exits and that kind of stuff, P.K. Subban dumped the puck out like 11% of the time when he was exiting the zone, which was one of the best marks in the league. And last year, it was like 28% of the time, which was one of the worst marks in the league. And that kind of tendency doesn't happen to a player unnaturally, you know, like especially a player like PK Subban who likes to take risks and likes to make those, those great plays out of the zone. That's something that was beaten into him. And already you can see like his game in Nashville, I think he's down to 19% dump outs. I think we're going to see the old PK that won the Norris come back a little bit and maybe he'll be a little bit more careful in terms of what plays he makes, but I think he's been held back, you know, like they had, they had one of the best players in the league on their back end. And instead of letting him go and making the best impact he could on the team, they just put a leash on him and probably a choke chain for whenever he would make a mistake. And I I hope in Nashville, we get to see the real potential of what PK Subban can be, because I think that he's, I think he could challenge Eric Carlson. I don't know if he can you know, match him at this point because I, I think he has been held back enough that some things have like rooted into his decision making that maybe won't get out for a couple more years, and by then he's you know no longer in his prime years. Mm-hmm. But man, I, I just I just find it sad that they've had this guy that he's everything you want in a player on and off the ice, and they just they never accepted him. And you know, like I, I was talking to some people recently. Uh, that know him really well. And they were saying, like, you know, all the unfair criticism over the last six years in Montreal, it all rolled off his back until the trade. Like, that was the first time that PK actually got hurt by something. 
that was said about him. And it was, you know, the rumors that the Habs organization were spreading about how his teammates hated him, which are categorically false from conversations that I've had with different players. Uh, you know, that he was uh, saying uh, things about uh, Andre Markov behind his back, which like Andre Markov will tell you is garbage. It, it's just the personal attacks and, and the trade he only ever wanted to be a Montreal Canadian. And like, I'm sure he'll have fun in Nashville and he's starting to accept that and, and, you know, uh, being bombastic there and they seem to love it. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But I think that this trade away from Montreal, it like actually hurt him emotionally. And you can see as he kept on getting asked about the trade, you know, in training camp, he was getting like progressively more blunt about how he felt about it. And I, I think it's going to be a couple of years before he's totally over it. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, and it's a good transition to uh, the guy we have number one on this list, Eric Carlson, in, in the sense that I'm not sure what it is, but people just can't, some people just can't seem to get over um, sort of the obvious glaring mistakes, especially when they lead to great chances or goals against, because I guess it, it makes sense just from a sort of a human perspective, a cognitive bias perspective. It, it's easy to kind of point back and, and look at that and, and be like, aha, like this is where this guy messed up. And, Whereas some of these other kind of more conservative guys like a Shea Weber or whoever else you want to name, um, they do all these kind of subtle things that hurt the team in the long run. And it's much tougher to sort of identify those and kind of pick them apart. Um, so I guess it makes sense that that's why people would take so much issue with them. But I mean, it's, it's, it seems so silly to me kind of, kind of look at those, uh, miscues every once in a while while not also factoring in the, the five or six other great things that happen in the meantime, right? Like it's, it's, you got to take the, you got to take the good with the bad. And, and for Carlson and Subban, they make so many things happen for their teams that, it just seems like kind of nitpicking those those gaffes every once in a while is really missing the forest for the trees. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that people kind of don't give credit for is like Eric Carlson and PK Subban is the same way. His defensive impact is very good. Mm-hmm. You know, like Eric Carlson is going to beat guys for pucks down low. He's going to win puck battles. He's deceptively strong. He can lay the body like, you know, very few players can just based on like his speed and positioning. Like, uh, I'm sure you remember in the playoffs a couple of years ago when he broke Nathan Beaulieu's sternum with a completely clean open ice hit. And like Nathan Beaulieu's a tough kid and he caught him with his head down, and just hit him perfectly, like twice in two shifts. And the second one broke his sternum, which is just crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Carlson can do anything. And. You know, the way that the Ottawa Senators use him is probably maximizing his talent in the same way that uh, the way that the Capitals use Ovechkin. I don't think Ovechkin is necessarily bad defensively, but he cheats in order to create that offense. And the same goes for Eric Carlson, although Carlson's defensive play, like it still shows up in the numbers. And like, I, I wish that they would use him a little bit on the penalty kill because his penalty kill numbers are absurdly good. And I think that would quiet a lot of the detractors, but obviously they're using him so much that they don't want to like add penalty killing to his already insane responsibilities. Yeah, it, it's a lot to ask from one guy. No, it, it was pretty comical last year when people were like, "How can he be the Norris? He's not even killing penalties." It's like, okay, but he's 
playing like 30 other minutes during the course of the game. So <laughs> I think we can evaluate him based on those minutes he's playing rather than the things he's not doing. And I mean, there's not very many things to kind of look forward to and get excited about with this Ottawa Senators team. But I think that Eric Carlson makes them sort of a must-watch team pretty much every time they're playing just because he's going to do at least five or six just ridiculous things that very few other humans on this planet can pull off. And and in terms of storylines to follow, like just seeing how many points he can put up this year and whether he can approach 90 is is really kind of one of the only things that interests me about uh, the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't looked into the Senators so far this season, but uh, it kind of seems like the returns on Guy Boucher aren't great so far, but I think over the long term, he's going to have a really nice impact on Eric Carlson's offensive numbers. And like you said, he might actually push 90 because you know any little boost could, could put him there. And I think uh, one thing that I wanted to point out for guys like uh, Carlson, Subban, and Hedman in particular, and Burns as well, is that there are defensemen like Lindholm who enable offense, and that's like most defensemen, even the guys who put up points, at even strength they enable offense and they can get involved, but for the most part they're not driving offense. Mm-hmm. Guys like Carlson, Subban, and Hedman drive offense. Like the offense on their teams runs through them. Like I think Victor Hedman, for example, has more to do with the Tampa Bay Lightning scoring than Steven Stamkos does. Like, that's how big he is in that team. Uh, Eric Carlson, there's no one even close on that team. And I really like Mark Stone, and I really like Mike Hoffman. I like Carl, Kyle Turris, too. Mm-hmm. But Eric Carlson is the is the way that the Ottawa Senators score. He just They all defer to him, and everyone covers him, and you still can't stop him. It's just ridiculous at this point. Like, the way he moves, uh, how he finds shooting lanes and passing lanes, like... Everyone knows it's going to Carlson, and it does not matter at all. Yeah. No, it's funny. Whenever, uh, you know, the Senators are struggling or losing, it's like, well, you know, it's it's Eric Carlson's fault. He's, he's just not good enough. And it's like, well, he's pretty clearly the best player on their team. So maybe the Senators would be better if the other players around him were closer to his level. Um, maybe that's an interesting way to, to kind of look at it. Um, so I'm glad we, uh, we got through this. There's a bunch of guys who obviously we just... Didn't have time to talk about um, and didn't merit being in this top 10 discussion, but are still really, really good hockey players. So uh, people can direct their their hatred and their uh, issues with us to at uh, Andrew Berkshire on Twitter. Um, and I'd highly recommend they check out your work on sportsnet.ca because you do a great job kind of mixing um, sort of these like micro stats and, and, and analytical uh, numbers together with sort of just kind of watching the games and, and putting it all together. Thanks, man. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, I look forward to the angry Shea Weber people. <laughs> I'm sure there will be plenty. Um, we'll make sure to get you back on as the season goes along. Okay, man? Absolutely. Sounds good, dude. Have a good one. You too. Before we put a bow on another edition of the Hockey PDO cast, let's give some love to the sponsor of the show, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is an online accounting service designed to save you time and help you keep all your checks and balances in order. With their new user-friendly software, accomplishing that goal is now easier than ever. You can use their service to create professional-looking invoices in a matter of moments, track business expenses so you know how much you've been spending, and actually accept credit card payments from your clients so you don't have to waste time waiting in line at the bank. The best part of it all is that they've got a mobile app you can get on your phone to do all these things from wherever you happen to be at that particular moment. 
Wait, I lied. That's not the best part. The best part is that FreshBooks is now offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of my listeners. To claim it, go to freshbooks.com slash PDOcast and enter Hockey PDOcast in the How You Heard About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash PDOcast. The Hockey PDOcast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. <laughs>